you, friend. Paul's uh, letter to the people in Philippi is, is really, really revealing. Because Paul is in prison. Everything Paul has known about freedom has been taken away. There's a fair amount of relative deprivation from prison. And so these words have extraordinary weight. They asked each one of us what perspective we would have from a place of hardship. So listen. My brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Sintiche, To be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women. For they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Here it is from prison. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence And if there is anything worthy of praise, 
Think about those things. And keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. And so we don't just hear, we listen. We don't just listen, we hear. May God's word speak to you. I know that I'm not alone when I admit that I wake each day with a heavy heart. The war in Israel and Gaza is horrific. The known casualties and losses are unfathomable numbers. The countless unknown losses make these grim statistics even more sobering. Many of us do not need to go deep into the web of our extended family and acquaintances before we find someone who is directly connected. Nor is it easy to escape the media coverage and social media posts that draw us into some jagged edge of this war that evokes deep emotions strong divisions, and reminds us of a complex, painful, and challenging history. President Lincoln, who when asked at the height of the Civil War if God was on the Union side, responded, Sir, what concerns me is not whether or not God is on our side, but whether or not we are on God's side. What is God's side? Well, God has some pretty unambiguous teachings about the preciousness of each human life and about loving our neighbor, and and he has a very inclusive vision of who that neighbor is. Jesus lived these values and embraced an expansive web of friends and followers that was radically inclusive and encompassed those who were not always considered worthy by others because of their ethnicity, their health, or simply because they were sinners. He also had some very prominent teachings about the fruits of the Spirit that are ripe in the kingdom of God. Love and peace, however you cut it, were at the core of Jesus' message. Betsy was so gracious to send me an incredible sermon by the Reverend Sari Atik, an Episcopal priest, a Palestinian Christian, and an Israeli citizen. It provided a perspective on this conflict that I was missing. Reverend Atik reminded me of the core human tendency that is and always has been to divide people in our hearts, and to believe that those with whom we identify or affiliate or are loyal to 
somehow have the moral high ground. With this in mind, the question reminds how, at this moment of terrible loss, deeply held convictions and profound pain, can we make sense of a world through faith? As a minister, I want to give you some spiritual strength to help you bear these horrors. Yet I am not a career statesman, a scholar of the Middle East, or Middle Eastern languages. I'm not connected politically, nor do I have access to anyone who has power or inside influence. I am someone, however, who is knowledgeable about the human spirit and the Christian faith, and I hope that what I give you is rooted in both. First, we must lament. Lament is a profound and foundational spiritual practice. We forget that about 20% of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament, and there is an entire book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. Lament is a scream of frustration and a deep, guttural growl put into words. Lament is what we say and what we pray when we decry evil wrongdoing, uncertainty, and unfairness. It is Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of Psalm 22 on the cross. Nevertheless, lament is not taught in most Sunday school classes, and many of us feel that God cannot be questioned and God cannot be doubted. That is simply not the case. We are called to be honest before God and speak what is in our hearts to respond to the hurt and the brokenness of the world. So lament an incredible humanitarian crisis. Lament injustice. Lament the complex history. Lament that so many victims are children. Lament that right now, as we speak, so many are unsafe. Because on the other side of lament, we find hope. When we face the grief and the suffering in a big, deep, confrontational way, when we face it with the entirety of all of our emotions, we exercise those emotions and we start to foster emotional resilience. When we move through our emotions of lament, we move through despair toward hope. When we lament in community, we encourage the shared humanity that comes inside these four walls. There is solace in coming here and saying we are all troubled by this. We are all grieving. And I hope that in lament we can find solidarity and faith that starting right here, we can envision a better hope for the future. Second, we must pray. Prayer is not a vending machine where we put in a petitionary prayer and hope for an outcome. Prayer is a mystery that examines the deepest dimensions of our hearts and holds those 
vulnerably before God. Mother Teresa famously said, I used to think that prayer changed things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. God transforms us through prayer. God opens our hearts and our emotions behind the prayers. In doing so, it helps us deepen our faith and respond with action. Third, we must see our neighbor and recognize both their humanity and their pain. The ministry of Jesus radically expanded who a neighbor is. We must see other humans as God sees them, instead of through the jaded haze of our cognitive biases. We need to see all the humans at the heart of this conflict as humans. It sounds easier than it is. In Reverend Atik's sermon, he asked his listeners to change around the labels that we automatically place on people and see how when we change a label, the story flips. He said, imagine thinking how it might feel if we just flipped the perspective, if it were 2.2 million Jews who were stranded in the Gaza Strip instead, or how it might feel if it were a group of young Palestinians at a music festival who were massacred. He suggested that the last thing we need is for people to be pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli, because the minute you choose an allegiance with one group as opposed to the other, you've lost the human family and you've become part of the problem. The truth is, is God doesn't see people the way we do. No matter how much we try or try to convince ourselves that our way is God's way, in God's eyes, each and every person is a bearer of God's image. Each person is a special creation. Each one is loved, and each is in need of God's love and forgiveness. In this community, we are ambassadors for the love of God and for the coming of the kingdom where these divisions don't exist. In the words of 19th century poet William Blake, I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. I sought my neighbor, and I found all three. Fourth, we must rejoice. Excuse me, what? We must rejoice so we can remember that at the most distressing times, in the midst of pain and heartache in the world, there is a happiness that doesn't depend on what happens, a peace that passes all understanding, and a love that knows no bounds. Rejoicing is the most important response to despair. In the reading that we read today, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think on these things. I believe that advice. I try and live that advice. Most days, I can. Yet in a week in which the news has been filled with horrendous images and terrifying realities of the brokenness in our world, 
It's hard to relate to Paul's enthusiasm and encouragement to rejoice always and not worry about anything. How is it that we can continue to claim that God is good and worthy of our praise as we watch the worst of what humans can do and and watch that play out on the world stage in real time? Well, here is a little background reading, something Carter mentioned for me, but Paul wrote this letter from prison, hardly a place of rejoicing. He was locked up, and the people he left in charge in the church in Philippi were deadlocked in conflict. Yet even amidst all this, he lifts up something else, even as he endured pain and frustration. Okay, you say, well, he was Paul, and maybe we don't feel the same way. Maybe we don't have that capacious store of faith that he has or hope. But while that concept of rejoicing amidst conflict feels foreign, just think back to the days of the COVID pandemic, the the depths of it, the times we didn't know what was going on. Recall just one or two times, maybe in seclusion, that you were able to think or do things that were honorable, just, pleasing, or commendable. You're not avoiding hard truths by doing this. The world had changed, and the pandemic had no end in sight. Yet every time you did the smallest act of hope, every time you found a new way amidst lockdowns to touch base with someone else, it opened your heart and your mind, maybe even gave you a glimpse at peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Rejoicing does not deny the reality of evil or the brokenness of the world, But it says in that brokenness, God can still meet us. We carry with us always the promises of God to be present in brokenness and ultimately to make all things new. That is the core of our faith. God's kingdom is not just a defense against violence, but it brings an end to all violence. It brings peace. And that is worth rejoicing and that is worth pointing towards. Finally, we must share the love, joy, and peace, the vision of love, joy, and peace, and the future kingdom of God with the world. We do this by sharing the love we receive right here. Each and every act of love that we do is precious in God's eyes. We do not know how God might use our small acts for transformation in the world. But I believe that every time we share love, every time we share the light of hope and give a glimpse of God's peace, we provide a glance at that peace that passes all understanding. We come closer to building the kingdom here on earth. Jesus said over and over again, Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace is that glimpse into the kingdom. This table is a glimpse into the kingdom. This table provides a glimpse of peace and joy and salvation that is provided equitably for all who seek it. And we go forth from this table to bear witness to peace and love and make it a deeper reality in our lives and in the lives of the world. In this room, 
at this table, the simple table with simple gifts. We provide an opening to a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that surpasses suffering. In this room and at this table, we celebrate a love that surpasses evil. We may not always understand it, but we have tasted it. And at the core of our faith, we all try to share this peace, joy, and love in the world. Being on God's side is not as complex and nuanced as it seems. Being on God's side is examining these most timeless and basic elements of our faith and holding them close as we wrestle with unfathomable tragedy and conflict. And it involves our willingness to continue asking hard questions of ourselves and of our most deeply held convictions, even as we do so. It involves seeing life and faith at the essence of being human. It involves seeing God's love as an eternal promise that is both in the trenches and above the fray. Moreover, it involves holding genuine hope and genuine lament together without allowing the lament to block the hope that is the center of our faith. I want to close with the prayer that Reverend Atik shared in his sermon, and I hope that you are as moved by it as I am. It says, pray not for Arab or Jew or Palestinian or Israeli, but rather pray for ourselves that we might not divide them in our prayers, but keep them both together in our hearts. That is, my friend, taking God's side. May it be so. river I've been running ever since it's been a long long time coming but I know change gonna come oh yes it will it's been too hard living but I'm afraid to die Cause I don't know what's up there Beyond the sky It's been a long, long time coming But I know change gonna come Oh yes it will I go to the moon and I go 
downtown Somebody keep telling me Don't come around It's been a long Long time coming But I know Change gonna come Oh yes it will Then I go out to meet my brother And I say, brother, help me please But he ends up knocking me Back down on my knees Oh, yes, it will. 